Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the major motion podcast, where we talk about the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online. From the San Francisco Bay Area, I'm John Agroni, film editor for the the youngfolks.com. I'm I'm sorry, I just, I'm a little creeped out because Will Ashton uh, uh, from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, news and entertainment writer at Collider. Um, Why are you smiling like that? What are you talking about? I just, uh, you're smiling like... Yeah, I don't know. It's like you don't ex- like th- no pain. Well, this is my normal expression. I always <laughs> look like this. Well, I just uh, I, maybe if you could uh, turn that frown upside down, we can uh, turn our reviews upside down this week on the show. Turn my frown right. upside down. Yeah. Okay. We'll turn the smile upside down. There you go. That's it. There you go. Because we're going to talk about smile. That's right. You did. And uh, yeah. big weekend, Will. Sure, I guess so. In some ways, not in other ways. We got to hit it at the top of the show, don't we, mm. Bros? Mm-hmm. We're gonna we're gonna be reviewing Bros. Um, our okay. review is gonna come out day after this one comes out, so it might already be out by the time you're listening to this. Wow. I mean, chances are extremely good. But Bros and Smile both came out. Bros is a romantic comedy, right? Yep. From Nicholas Stoller. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a kind of a raunchy gay comedy, right? From the guy who made Forgetting Sarah Marshall and Neighbors, and then Smile is a horror yep. movie from kind of a new director here, Parker Finn. He did a short film kind of based on this uh, cinematographer, the guy from Relic, and uh, oh, okay. original horror film. Yeah, I mean, there is a weird sort of yin and yang going on this weekend, where we have the story of Smile, which is this big underdog story. You know, like you said, a directorial debut, a film that was supposed to go on to, I think, Paramount Plus initially. And Paramount tests the film. It scored through the roof. They're like, hey, you know what? What do we have to lose putting into theaters? Let's see what happens. Right. Already outgrossed its budget on its opening weekend. Doubled you know, its budget. Yeah. I don't, know, I don't think it doubled its budget, at least nationally. I think maybe internationally it did. I'm not sure. Internationally, but, yeah. Okay. But yeah, I mean, that's obviously a big success story. And then you have Bros, which, you know, is a, if not the first, one of the first major uh, mainstream studio films with an LGBT cast. I believe everyone in the cast is uh, in, LG, in, the, uh, in the LGBTQIA plus community. Did I get that right? Uh, LGBTQIA plus is yeah, one of the terms you can use. You can use LGBT as a shorthand. Yeah. LGBT plus. You know, I mean, certainly the film was hyped up as a big uh, turning point for representation. Obviously, we probably should have gotten to this point much sooner. But I mean, you know, there were a lot of hopes for this film. I, I mean, not only from the box office, but critically and awards wise. I think there was even some hopes that it would get some Oscar attention. That's still possible. But at the moment, I mean, certainly at the box office, it well underperformed expectations. Got good reviews, but still is not really making much of a dent yeah. uh, in terms of uh, audiences coming out to see the film. And I I mean, there's obviously a lot of factors that go into that. I think the big one is that they released this movie at the exact wrong time. Yeah, this is not, not a great time to release a raunchy romantic comedy. Yeah. I, I can't think. I mean, I did a little bit of digging. I couldn't really find any that had come out this time of year. I think if you're going to do this kind of movie and market it the way you want to market it, uh, because I saw some people being like, well, it's not marketed the right way. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I didn't watch the, I watched the trailer like a while ago, but 
Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's it's just a weird time for it. It's October. It's back to school kind of season. Right. It's spooky season. And this is the kind of thing like August would have been good for this. Late July, maybe. That's when like well, Big Sick came out. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, if they were going for the awards friendly weekend, I don't see why they couldn't do it in July. Like you said, the Big Sick come, sure. came out in July and crept into August. And obviously that was able to find uh, a few critical uh, accolades along the way. As well as, you know, like a, a couple Oscar nominations or at least one Oscar nomination. Um, but yeah, I mean, even beyond that, they could just release this in June for Pride Month. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, know. it's like uh, Apatow films. I, I don't know, think they usually come out in October. That's the thing. And uh, so, of course, Smile did well. It's October. It's spooky season. People are changing their names mm. on Twitter as we speak. But uh, yeah, to what you were saying, Bros made uh, gross something like four point eight million domestically in its opening weekend right we're recording think, this sunday evening mm-hmm. i think it was supposed yeah. to gross between eight and ten million that was what yeah the they were they were projecting I, I saw 10 to 12 originally and it might have gone down a bit but then yeah now it's now it's 4.8 and then i mean it's not a cheap movie 22 million it costs more money to make than smile right so it's definitely a big miss uh this looks like it's gonna flop a bit yeah i mean who uh, knows i mean mm-hmm. it could creep you know some box office the rest of the month but that's i don't know that could be a bit of a long shot I guess, I don't know, I mean, if any film could have legs, I think it's certainly this one. Like we said, guys, good reviews. Maybe people just kind of wanted to see the horror movie first, and, you know, as the month goes on, they have already seen Smile, they're like, yeah, we'll give bros a shot. Who knows? But, I mean, I feel like a lot of movies this year, with the exception of, like, Top Gun Maverick and Elvis, haven't really had super long legs. So, I mean, that's not a given at this point. Um, Yeah. It's, it's tough to predict these days, you know, what's going to catch. And I, I'm so sick of people being like, well, you know, it's because it's the pandemic. I mean, stop. Like, how many times do we have to keep going well, to that? Like, of course, sure. it's not the pandemic. <laughs> I mean, no, like, wh- yeah. who, wh- what? No, like, if it was the pandemic, we wouldn't be seeing movies. You know, we've seen other romantic comedies do well this year. We've seen tons of movies do well this year. I, I just don't see, I don't get why people keep using that. It feels like an excuse to me. Like people Perhaps. don't want to admit that it's just people didn't come out to see this. But I mean, I think to that point, um, I, I, I mean, at this point, a lot of the romantic comedies that are coming out, including fire Island, which uh, bros has been compared to quite readily. Uh, mm-hmm. came, they're coming to streaming. People are kind of being conditioned yeah. to see these movies on streaming anyway, because the studios didn't have faith in them. To make money. So now they're kind of, you know, uh, the snake is kind of biting the hand because, you know, they're trying to put them out in theaters again. People are like, well, I'll just wait until it hits streaming. Well, and the thing is, you know, it's it's a rom-com, right? So they expect people to go on dates to watch this sort of thing. You know, at the movies, you know, date night and everything. And I do think, like, I, I don't know, I feel like some people are trying to pretend like this isn't a thing. But I do think a lot of straight people just, like, don't have, like, like the desire to go see a gay romantic comedy, even though they should, because gay people go see straight romantic comedies all the time and have fun. And it is fun. It is romantic. I but mean, like, I think there's like a, a prejudice or something like that. Hmm. A lot of straight people have obviously not all of them. I am. I'm not sure about that. I mean, that's again, like I was saying to you before, I think that's kind of the Elizabeth Banks with Charlie's angels thing where she was blaming like straight white men for not seeing the movie. And then they found out that it's straight white that- men were, primarily the people who saw the film (laughs) i agree but it's just sort of like i i don't know i just feel like we're kind of dancing around it a little bit it's like yeah there are there's just a lot of homophobic people oh i'm (laughs) not doubting that you know it's just that yeah i mean i don't think the right approach is 
blaming one sexuality for not seeing a film because we just don't know for sure. Of course sure. not. Like, yeah. I, I mean, mean, I think plenty, yeah. plenty of straight people, plenty of gay people, plenty of gay people aren't watching it, you know, because there's, I'm sure a lot of gay people are like, I don't care. I don't want to watch sure. Billy Eichner's right. Love Life. You know, it's, yeah. it's obviously not one group of people, right. but I do think that like a movie like this has to like grab from lots of different quadrants. And I, that was always going to be something kind of getting in its way a bit. Um, and I just, my thing is, my takeaway is just, I wish it would change. I wish uh, people would be open to it. But, you know, we'll talk oh, about course. the movie Bros, but I mean, mm -hmm. I, I feel like most people who watch it would have a really great time. Yeah. I mean, there is something to be said. I mean, the movie even parodies it, as we'll probably discuss in our review of it. But people, I guess, when they see LGBT films, they're conditioned to think of them as like heavy dramas or like coming of age stories. Yeah, traumatic. And, and, yeah. Mm. And I mean, there is still this, uh, I guess, uh, fear, I guess, or whatever it is that, you know, just showing gay people just living their lives and just having, you know, complicated love affairs is something without like, you know, heavy melodrama or, you know, serious ailments or something like, you know, or even like something as heavy as like Brokeback Mountain or Call Me By Your Name or Power of the Dog. Like, you know, there is like there's potentially maybe like uh, um, less urgency from people to be like, OK, why do I need to see this? Right. Yeah. But, That's what I mean. Um, it's just like cause to go see it on like a date night to like to escape and to have fun. And I think movies are kind of when it comes to LGBT stuff. And I'm sure we're going to talk more about this on our bros review coming up. But I think a lot of people are I think a lot of people in like the film industry, they're still catching up to where the publishing industry is at because we're getting stories like that in publishing right now. Young adult novels, adult novels. There are tons of really great queer stories coming out with happily ever afters and with romantic, you know, undertones. And it's not all based around like what you're saying, like trauma and pain. And I think that's where novels were decades right. ago. I mean, look at power of the dog based on a novel. Sure. Right. And uh, I think movies are just always slow to kind of catch up to that sort of thing. So I, I, sure. I am optimistic. I think we will get there, but mm -hmm. yeah, just, it takes some time because yeah, it, it's certainly not something people like you said, are conditioned to expect at the movies and that, that takes time to build. And I get what people are saying. They're like, ah, oh, you know, the, the box office failure of this, you know, it's going to obviously hurt, you know, other queer films from being made. And that's, that's true too. And that's sad. That really is. Yeah. I mean, I would hope the takeaway is don't release your, uh, romantic comedy around spooky season. Yeah. The but, stakes are high if you do that. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, considering how much people freaked out about, you know, that three second kiss and light year. I mean, there is certainly a valid fear that, you know, Hollywood wasn't even a see. three second kiss. It was right. a three millisecond kiss. Whatever. Yeah. yeah it, was, I mean, it was in the news. Yeah. For weeks. Right. And yeah, there, but there is a very understandable uh, fear that, you know, Hollywood might see all these, you know, controversies and be like, well, maybe it's not worth whatever risk there would be to release a film like this, especially if, mm -hmm. you know, a movie like bros well under well underperforms um but yeah i mean i hope that's not the takeaway like you said i think there is certainly an audience for this i think we see it not only in the publishing industry but on tv and a lot of other forms yeah. of media and i think you know film certainly deserves it we have a lot of great lgbt films but certainly we could use more on a mainstream level yeah more of a variety yeah yeah and, and I, I totally agree with that you know because i i again i'm pretty optimistic i think that like you know, Hollywood can and will learn the long, wrong lessons from everything. And it, it's just it's just how it is. But at the same time, I think things are changing. The next generation coming up, they're going to get more and more buying power. There are way more and more, you know, LGBT people being more, you know, 
visible, coming out and, you know, wanting that from culture, working in these industries and making those choices to like what what gets made and what becomes art. And that's always going to be something that's that's, I think, growing mm-hmm. as long as we live in a society that's free, you know. So yeah, absolutely. I am optimistic. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, yeah, there's certainly what gives me hope is that there's much less of a stigma with it now. And there's certainly I mean, you know, like you said, people are a lot more open, a lot more expressive, a lot more uh, emboldened to be open about their sexuality and their individuality. And I think that's a very beautiful and progressive thing. And I hope that continues. But yeah, I mean, seeing would you, would you say, though, Will, that it's enough to make you smile? <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know. We could talk about bros a little bit more, I guess, in our actual bros <laughs> review. But if you want to jump to Smile, or I could talk about two other films I saw this week. What do you do want you to do? Do you want to do that? Okay, we're gonna get to Smile, but yeah, you saw you saw another film, and I, I don't want to I don't want to keep it away from you. I know you're excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, well, I saw two films. Uh, two of them. Oh yeah, I, that's right. I forgot. Yeah, I was gonna say. So I've seen two films you haven't seen yet, or I don't even know if you will ever see any of these films. Uh, I saw Lena Dunham's Catherine Called Birdie, which is going to be on Amazon Prime later this month. And I also saw Rob Zombie's The Munsters, which is currently on Netflix as well as home video. Which would you like me to discuss first? It's a you know dealer's choice. I think I have a screener for, I, I think I have a screener for Catherine Called Birdie, but I don't know if it's expired. Hmm. Uh, I do want to watch it though. At least yeah, when it comes say, out. You know what? Catherine called Birdie. Good movie. Cool. Gotta say. Yeah. It looks I mean, good. Yeah. I mean, I was very curious going to, because I, I like Lena Dunham. I know people have very strong and very negative feelings about her. And, you know, say what you will about her as a person. I think as a writer and as a director, I think she is tremendously talented. Uh, and I think she has a great voice and a uh, style that is very contemporary. And that's why I was very curious about what was going to be like in this, you know, period piece this adaptation yeah because you already watched because uh, you saw sharp stick right her right. last and, one from not too long ago and that was a film that i was more positive on than other folks i think people have you know a variety of opinions about that film i think certainly a lot of the criticism against that film was warranted i sure. you know i kind of conflicting feelings about how it portrayed neurodivergent characters but uh you know i i thought personally it was kind of fascinating just to see a film where someone neurodivergent was open and frank and exploring their own sexuality it's just something you don't often see and i really like how lena is emboldened and you know willing to kind of explore female sexuality in a kind of uh unapologetic way and this film uh can can i say real quick about mm -hmm. lena dunham because i don't want to let it sit i think i agree with you i think she's tremendously talented i also think she's extremely annoying Sure. Um, but I also think that she's kind of fearless and I don't, I don't really like her as a person, but I'm always interested in what she, what art she's making. I'm always going to give her a chance on something. I'm not going to, you yeah. know, I, I, I don't huff and haw like her yeah. having a career and doing her thing and just me and her yeah. go for it. Look, let's be real. If I was criticizing filmmakers for being annoying, we wouldn't get to right. cover half the movies that come out. Exactly, exactly. I wish that was more because people people kind of assume you know they, there are a couple of things about Lena Dunham that are pretty gross in terms of stuff that she said and you know. But, well, sure. You know. I'm not. I'm not trying to downplay that. I'm just saying that, sure. like you know, I think as an artist, people can kind of uh, underappreciate or undermine her very clear and apparent talents. And I think okay. she is pretty self-aware as an artist and also, you know, unself-aware in some respects as a person and sometimes as an artist. And I think that actually makes the work more intriguing more often than not. But in any case, 
Catherine called Birdie. I won't uh, talk about it too long because clearly you have some thoughts on Leah Dunham, and I don't think we need to spend too much time talking about that. But I will say Catherine called Birdie, as I was mentioning before, you know, as someone like Leah Dunham, who is very contemporary, I was very curious how she would apply her style to this very, you know, I think it's like 2090 is where it takes place, the film. You know, it's definitely well outside the time range where she usually explores femininity and girlhood. And I think it just fits really well because it feels fresh in a way that's like, it's very clearly from her voice and her style, but she's also adapting work. I don't have the author's name off the top of my head, but it-, it Oh yeah, the very- author is uh, Karen Cushman. Okay, yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it just fits her style in that way where, yeah, every one of her films are about women at a certain pivotal changing point in their lives, trying and often clumsily trying to uh, find themselves and their femininity while also just kind of forging on path, hoping to, you know, find what uh, their own sense of, um, let's see, what's the word I'm trying to look for? Um, independence, I guess, seems too, uh, I don't know, too obvious, but that's the only one I can really think of at the top of my head. And yeah, I don't know. I just think this movie is just really charming. It's very sweet. It's very funny, but it also just feels very personal and very... Uh, surprisingly very crowd-pleasing in a way that I feel like a lot of her other works have been a little bit more prickly, a little bit harder to get into. And I just really think it's a good turning point for Lena Dunham. And I'm very excited to see if this is where she's going to go with her future works, if she's going to try to do something kind of similar to Sharp Stick moving forward. But yeah, I think more people will like this than early estimates might predict. So I'm very excited to see what the response is. And I hope it provides more opportunities for Lena Dunham in the near future. Well, I don't know if you saw it, but uh, critics have liked it so far, at least. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's getting good reviews. And for me, yeah, sure. That's great for Lena Dunham, I guess. I mean, she's done. She's gotten applause before. I'm like, I don't know. She I don't think she's she has to worry too much about people paying attention when she makes something. But I'm more happy for Bella Ramsey, who plays the main character. Um, And I know you you weren't really into Game of Thrones, but she was kind of a breakout hit star. Not even Mm -hmm. she wasn't like a star in the show, but she kind of. She shows up in like one scene in season six. I don't know how how aware you are of her, but I, she just whew, she kills it in the show, and she's barely nice. in it. I was gonna say I this was my introduction to her because I didn't watch Game of Thrones and I haven't seen anything as far as the um the Last of Us show that's coming up to HBO that she's going to be starring in with Pedro Pascual. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, I thought she's tremendous in this movie. I think it's definitely her. Uh, performance that I think, in addition to Liam Dunn's writing and direction, writing and directing yeah. that uh, really carries uh, this film and makes it very vibrant, very personal, very charming, and just uh, weirdly very relatable considering yeah. the some of the turns of plot takes. Bella, Bella Ramsey, she's the real deal. And uh, I also saw that uh, one of the other characters from Game of Thrones in this, or a couple, of, I think a couple of characters actually, a couple of actors. I, mean, I, I know uh, Andrew Ralph Scott Anderson, from. Uh, Fleabag's in it. But. Well, yeah, but he's not in Game of Thrones. But uh, Dean Charles Chapman uh, is the one I was thinking of. He plays oh, uh, yeah, 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 Tom. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he has a funny role in it. Um, yeah, so yeah. Fun, fun little, you know, reunion for some of these uh, Game of Thrones actors. Sure. Uh, which uh, is going to become, it's always a thing. I always feel like when I see one Game of Thrones actor in something, I'd see maybe two more somewhere else. But uh, anyway, you had another movie before we uh, move on to the, to the the main the main one, the big the feature sure. film. The yeah, I, mean, I saw, uh, yeah, The Monsters, the Rob Zombie film, which, have you seen any Rob Zombie movie? Do you have an opinion on Rob any Zombie? Any Rob Zombie movies? 
Sure. Will Ashton, I'm disappointed in you. Okay. Have I seen any Rob Zombie movies? You've seen Halloween, right? 27. Of course I've seen. We've talked about it. I don't okay. even know who you are anymore, Will Ashton. Okay. I I feel so, like you don't you don't know me. I don't know you. Well, uh, remind me then what you've seen from him. I haven't seen that much, but <laughs> okay. um, I've seen the, the two Halloween movies he did. Halloween, sure. Halloween 2. Uh, saw Lords of Salem. What else okay. did he do? Um, I think just one other one. I think it was uh, Devil's Rejects, maybe. Okay. I think I saw probably, it. Yeah, I probably saw Probably his that. most famous film. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I will we say... Were, I mean, we were just kids back then, man. I was just sure. in, like, middle high school. Yeah. Um, Rob Zombie, I mean... Uh, as a musician, I certainly find him very entertaining. I've seen him live before. He is a great showman. Uh, as a filmmaker, I find him kind of baffling but compelling. He, to date, I feel like hasn't really made a film that I can outright call good. But even though I've really disliked a couple of his films, like he made one called 31, which I think is just the pits. I wasn't really fond of House of Thousand Corpses. I thought High world of el superbisto is the type of film where i just kind of want to take a bath afterwards and not think about it again <laughs> um but yeah i mean you know to your point like you're saying like halloween 2007 second half of it's terrible but the first half uh even though it kind of pushes against some of the uh, ambiguity that makes michael myers uh so uh innately terrifying as a protagonist i find the film's desire to want to explore the nature versus nurture aspect of that character to be pretty fascinating in that film and i think there's yeah. some really solid stuff in the first half of that film likewise like you said in Double i totally Rejects. agree the atmosphere is what makes that first half i think yeah like that I just, dread yeah, right yeah i just think it's you know he goes uh, i like any rob zombie film i think he goes overboard i think certainly some of the stuff that happens to sherry moon zombie in that film uh it, maybe it's unwarranted but that yeah, movie lost me when when what it did to Machete. Oh, Machete. Yeah, it made me sad. Yeah. yeah. In any case, um, yeah, I don't know. I just I feel like he's kind of been like a close but no cigar filmmaker a few times. Like Devil's Rejects, the film that I I like what it's doing. I, I certainly think it's a step forward from him after House of a Thousand Corpses, but I still feel like there's not a lot pushing him as a, a storyteller because frankly, I think he just doesn't know how to write a script. <laughs> it's something that I find very apparent in all of his films. He doesn't know how to write dialogue. He doesn't know how to structure a story. He doesn't know how to pace a film. He doesn't and hasn't really... he written all of his films? He if has, you're not yeah. counting like the concert ones. <laughs> uh, I don't know. If, did he direct any concert films? I'm not familiar with those then. Uh, he, if... I think he did one. Um, okay. I remember it was, a, it was years ago. I know it was like around when I moved to California. But I don't remember the name of it, but uh, yeah, I think he did at least one. Okay. In any case, uh, Rob Zombie is a filmmaker who I think as a screenwriter certainly leaves a lot to be desired, but as a visual storyteller, he has undeniable style that makes me uh, constantly willing to give him a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chance. And I think for the first time that kind of paid off with the monsters. Jeez and Louise. And I say that because uh, it's a complete reversal from what he's done before in the sense that it's a PG film. It's not him trying to emulate sort of the grimy 70s aesthetics that he was going for in his earlier films. Certainly, a lot of people point out that he tries to emulate uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is half true. I think the main film he tries to emulate is Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Uh, certainly kind of like the zaniness of that film. The, yeah, because wasn't Devil's Rejects like late 70s? 
is when it right, takes place. Yeah. I mean, certainly the, the focus of that film of uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 being about like these kind of outsized weirdo hillbilly characters is certainly something that I think Rob Zombie loves. And he's been trying to emulate and recreate that with his films, obviously, to not the same extent. But this movie, I mean, while it is pushing against that, it does share his love for just these sort of weirdo uh, Halloween friendly characters who just, you know, are their own weird little guys and they don't really fit into common society, but they're very much themselves. And in this case, it's a very romantic turn of events because the film, not necessarily as you watch it, becomes a, a kind of tribute to his wife, Sherry Muzambi, and the relationship that they had, uh, and I think have had for like, I think two or three decades now. And, you know, it proves to be a very personal and very sweet film, which is very uh, unusual for films that are based on prominent IPs such as this one. So certainly has a lot going against it. Like I said, no structure, no sense of pacing to the film. Uh, it's very openly sort of hokey and hammy, and there's a lot of groan-worthy jokes uh, throughout the film. But I don't know. I found it very endearing and oddly kind of sweet. And it's the first time I walked out of a Rob Zombie movie feeling charmed. So, you know, can't take that for granted. I have to give it, uh, you know, an odd sort of begrudge, but nevertheless, be mused. Uh, thumbs up. Well, gosh, and I, I hate to admit this, you know, because I, I always want to level with you. I'm, I'm not a monsters guy. Never was. Never well, liked the was monsters. I. I, you know, I was always the I was always an Adams Family kid. You know, and and it's uh, it's Pepsi versus Coke, right? I mean, part of me is sort of like, yeah, I could check this out, but the other part of me is like, how would I explain it to Wednesday? Um, she'd throw me into a pool of piranhas if she found out. So therefore, mm. uh, I have no choice but to pretend this movie doesn't exist. I am very sorry. I mean, it is fascinating and funny to me that this year through Netflix, you know, uh, both Rob Zombie and Tim Burton are just kind of stopped beating around the bushes and just like, all right, fine. <laughs> Rob Zombie is going to finally make the monster movie. He, You know, his biggest hit is Dragula. You know, it's just kind of been like inevitable that he was going to do monsters, you know, through Netflix. He finally did. Now Tim Burton, you know, they've been how many, you know, Adam's Family movies. And it's just like, and Tim Burton's been, you know, flailing for like a decade as a director now. It's just like, we just do Adam's Family. He's like, fine, fine, fine. I'll do it if it's about Wendy. He's like, okay, fine. Yeah, do it. <laughs> And now he's doing it. I hope that show's good. I'm excited for it, to be honest. Yeah, same. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, it is. I find that funny that, you know, they're both just kind of like doing, you know, these uh, these things that have been, you know, not passion project. Well, certainly a passion project for Rob Zombie. But uh, as far as Adam's family, just something that feels sort of inevitable for uh, Tim Burton. Like, it's just been kind of uh, a long delayed and long overdue project that he's just finally tackling and hopefully with great results. All right. Well, I guess, uh, is that our, our cue? Can we finally talk about Smile? Yeah, sure. I'm excited to talk about it because I, I, I'm kind of curious where, where, where we're both going to land on this one. I have the sense that you like it. So, you know, that's obviously good news for you, but what do I think? Uh, okay. Mm. Mm-hmm. Smile. We, were, we, talked, we talked about it a little bit at the top of the show, but for those who skipped, this is a psychological horror film. And uh, it is the feature directorial debut of Parker Finn. So he wrote and directed this. He did a short film a couple of years back called Laura Hasn't Slept. And that is what this movie is based on. 
and it stars Sosie Bacon, who I, I don't know who what you've seen her in. I think the, the last thing I saw her in was Mayor of Easttown. She had a kind of like secondary role in that show. Uh, film wise, I, I don't know if I've seen anything that she's been in. Uh, I don't know if you've seen anything. I think actually, no, Charlie says the the Charlie, the, the Manson movie. Uh, I, I know she was in that. But uh, other than that, I don't think anything else that I'm aware of. Uh, she's been in a bunch of shows that uh, I've liked, you know, and some shows that I hate. Uh, so she was in, um, I already mentioned Mayor of Easttown, but she was in 13 Reasons Why. Terrible show. Uh, garbage. Uh, I don't think you watched any of it, right? Uh, nope. I have not watched that show. Okay. Well, I, I'm actually really happy that, you know, 13 Reasons Why is in her rear window because she's the main character in this. I think she's quite good in it. And uh, also in this movie, we have Jesse T. Usher from The Boys. We have Cal Penn, Rob Morgan, uh, a couple other maybe familiar faces. And uh, I was going to say, a uh, lot of TV actors in this. A lot of TV uh, actors. I mentioned Kyle Gallner as well um, mm-hmm. from uh, Veronica Mars. And uh, I think Smallville, too. But uh, yeah, which is always fun. It's always fun to, have to see your, your your buddies, you know, from the small screen. Uh, Judy Reyes. From Scrubs, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I, I don't oh, yeah, I've yeah. ever seen Carla on the big screen before. About time. Oh, she's been in some movies, but yeah, always. In I think she roles. has, but I don't know if I've seen her. Yeah, that's fair. I wasn't I was going to say, uh, yeah, in addition to the casting director, obviously watching a lot of TV. I also like that some of these actors are just like playing parts that they've kind of already played before. Like, for instance, Cal Pence. It's like, well, you played a doctor before in House. Why don't you just play a doctor in this? And then you got uh, what's your name? <laughs> um Robin Weigert, who is like obviously like the therapist in Big Little Lies, just like, well, you're a pretty good therapist in that That's show. That's right. Yeah, I knew I couldn't place her. Um, <laughs> I, right. I, yeah, I was like, who is that? I know I've seen her somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I, I find it so funny because her character in this is very, very similar to the therapist she played <laughs> in Big Little Lies. The point was like, is That's this like funny. a continued universe thing? Is this going to, is Nicole Kidman going to come in here? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I'd love to see uh, those characters deal with the smile curse. Let's see what happens with that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so this movie, I, I think like we kind of, again, we talked about it a bit on the, the top of the show, but the marketing has been based around kind of making this thing look a little bit more of like, definitely like an unpretentious horror movie, like the kind of horror movie that's just like schlocky, you know, like a silly premise, silly kind of thing. Right. Because it's yep. the smile. It's like when you see the smile and in the trailer, the kind of, kind of what happens, it's sort of like, okay, you know, so this is one of those, like maybe not like malignant weird, but it's going to be something kind of, you know, like lights no, no, out no. or, huh? Yeah. No, I was going to say, yeah. I mean, it's like, I call it like a sleepover kind of horror movie where it's like yeah. something you watch with like, like as a preteen, and like it's like 1 a.m. and you're like, let's watch something stupid. Let's watch Smile. And then like one person gets kind of scared and just like, oh, what's the matter? You scared of this already? It's like, no, no, no. And then I, you think, know, I feel like you're recounting something very specific sure. and personal. <laughs> eh, maybe so. I don't know. In any case, uh, I, the, the film that I think it reminds me the most of in that regard is The Ring. I think very well. I mean, I was going to get to it. Will yeah, Ashton, sure. you're cutting ahead. You're cutting in sure. line. <laughs> Of course, it reminds you of the ring. It's going to remind everybody of the ring, right? But I mean, okay, so there there are two main movies I think people are going to compare this to. Uh, like you said, the ring and it follows and two very different movies, but they kind of have like similar hooks, right? The hook of like something traumatic that can get passed on and the main character tries to figure out a way to thwart it, right? So both movies kind of operate that, but they're 
atmospherically and motif and mood wise, they're completely different films, right? Because The Ring does not take itself that seriously. It kind of does, but it does it doesn't. And It Follows does take it itself very serious. It Follows is very like contemplative and there is a lot of like substance uh, right underneath it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you say that, but I feel like I mean, I just watched Ringu, the original Ring, and that really takes itself pretty seriously. But yeah, the Gore well, we're not talking about one, Ringu. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, the the Gore Verbinski one is a little bit, uh, I guess, a little bit hammier in a good way. Uh, compared, I would say so. I mean, uh, considering that like first, you know, image of like the the first victim of the the Ring, I'll never forget her. Like when she's in like that uh, closet or whatever, but. Smile, I feel like this stuff is on a spectrum, right? I feel like Smile is like right in the center. Like half of it is it follows kind of, you know, in form and function. And the other half is the ring where it's it's just, it's just fun. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the movie itself is about kind of what I said. This woman, she's a therapist, again, Sosie Bacon's character. And she witnesses this suicide that happens right in front of her. And it traumatizes her and she starts to like hallucinate. She starts to start, she's just like seeing things, you know, like creepy things are happening to her. So very much like the ring, very much like something, maybe even um, drag me to hell, you know? And eventually she starts to catch on that. Like, okay, what happened to this person who committed suicide in front of me is going to happen to me because it happened to the person before her and before her. But the problem is that nobody believes her. Uh, people are just sort of like, uh, Okay, like you're obviously like losing your mind and she's just like, what am I going to do? And I will say I want to know what your audience was like, Will, because my audience was perfect. No notes. Uh, People were disruptive. Uh, People were talking throughout and we all had fun. We all had like the silent agreement at the beginning of the movie. It was like, you know what? It's Sunday afternoon. I I just got home from this and we're all just going to have a good time the smile and it was fantastic i want to know what your audience was like but mine was just like every moment of this movie people were commenting be like oh you know (laughs) what it is uh whenever somebody was smiling you know like chuckles murmurs i i laughed so many times in this movie you would have thought it was a comedy and yet it's not a movie it's a movie that kind of takes itself a bit seriously too it's it's not like a super like it's wacky fun uh, time it's not drag me to hell but uh, okay, yeah, you go ahead. Uh, yeah, I, well, I certainly have some comments as far as that regarding the tone. Uh, but audience-wise, okay, so I saw this at a screening. It was a press screening, but they invited general audiences as well. Uh, yeah, I, I remember the the reception for the first half of it. Everyone was kind of respectful, like they were, you know, kind of <laughs> keeping their comments to themselves. Everyone was just kind of watching yeah, yeah. it. Like, I mean. There's like a lot of like kind of weird murmurs of reactions throughout, but like generally everyone was just kind of respecting, you know, everyone's uh, uh, viewing experience. Uh, But I forget exactly where it was. It's I think a certain scene in the hospital where just a lot of crazy shenanigans start to happen. And that was kind of the breaking point where everyone's just like started kind of laughing and like getting uproarious with what was going on and for that point it's off the races everyone was just kind of like either (laughs) laughing or just you know voicing their comments or what have you but like that scene was kind of the breaking point i remember for you know people 
commenting on things, even to the point where I felt like they're kind of being a little disrespectful to kind of some of the more serious moments that happened, uh, you know, towards the third act of the film. Yeah, I, I do want to talk about that toward the end here, because there is like uh, maybe after we play the Rotten Tomatoes game, I, I kind of want to address something that happens in the end. Uh, but obviously, I don't want to give it away or spoil anything. But for now, oh boy, yeah, uh, yeah, for now, what I'll say about this movie, uh, I think it's it's scary. It's creepy. I like the imagery. Most of the jump scares work pretty well. You know, I have, no, I have mostly good things to say about this one. I had, I had fun with it. I, you know, I thought the uh, the underlying message it was a little bit on the nose. I mean, I don't know. It's just, there are a lot of scenes where they're just spelling it out. Uh, I can tell it's a first film in the sense that it's very, like, it's a very familiar structure. Uh, not a lot of risk taking in that sense, which is okay. Uh, I think that Parker Finn's still getting his sea legs probably. And, uh, on, on that token too, I, I kind of think this movie has too, repeats too many of the same beats. So I think I have two fundamental issues with this movie that kind of hold it back for me. One is that it keeps doing like the same kind of thing where she's like, I don't know what to do. I'm scared. Uh, bad thing. And then like somebody like snaps her out of it. And then she's just like, oh, no, what's happening? And they're like, are you OK? That same thing happens like five times. And it, at a certain point, it's like you expect her to mix it up or to try a different like approach to you know, addressing this or to try to adapt to what's going on. You could argue she eventually does, but yeah, it just, it takes a while. And the other thing that frustrates me a lot is just this character just makes a lot of dumb decisions. Like the way that she's trying to explain what's going on to her. I think that I, I feel like she could have been more clever or, you know, I, I was thinking of a uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Like one thing I like about that movie is that the main character is always ahead of the audience. And I always felt I was ahead of this main character. And I guess you could argue it's like, well, you know, she's going through, you know, she's stressed out. She's traumatized. She's not thinking clearly. I think that's all fine. But it also means that I'd, I'm going to struggle a bit, you know, like really connecting with this main character in, a, in the best way possible. So uh, it's not a mixed bag. I think it's better than it's not. But yeah, there, those were just two fundamental issues that I was I was a bit I was struggling with for sure. Yeah, I mean, I find this movie kind of fascinating as far as where it's coming out in the genre as it stands now, because, I mean, we're at a point, and obviously this isn't uh, indicative of every horror movie, but there's this broader sort of A24 influence where the quote-unquote elevated horror movies are kind of taking precedent right now. Uh, or they're, they're sort of like um, high-concept movies that are portrayed either in a you know, very kind of ironic or self-aware sort of way. Certainly some of the better examples have come from Jordan Peele, but, um, you know, some other filmmakers who are trying to emulate that, I think, you know, I feel like they kind of forget that, like, a movie like this can kind of play to convention while also being smarter than it looks. And I think that I, I appreciate that Parker Finn is able to acknowledge just kind of how silly the concept is and just kind of not try to play against it too much like not try to like act like it's you know like he's above it in any particular respect but i think he gives it a little bit more uh craftsmanship than someone who would just lazily kind of coast on the concept of it and uh above that i mean certainly i mean the central theme of the film is something that has been well tried ground in horror movies of late which is grief and trauma and I know you like to comment that 
pretty much every horror movie right now is about grief or trauma in some respect or another. And uh, I kind of appreciate this movie seems to be kind of commenting on the fact that a lot of movies are about grief and trauma right now by, you know, in some respects, doing things a little bit better than some other horror movies. It shows some of the reasons why this character is traumatized in a way that I think, broadly speaking, feels pretty respectful. It doesn't feel like exploitative. Uh, I think, you know, some of the, the bigger moments are pretty well handled. I mean, it kind of verges into that territory, but I think it handles it pretty well, but also, you know, doesn't let it overtake the film or slow it down too much uh, outside of, you know, the fact that the film pacing wise is kind of uh, slow to begin with, not in a bad way. Like it just kind of takes its time with the reveals and with the jump scares and all that jazz. Uh, but I agree with you that yeah. uh, I, I think maybe it relies too much on conventional jump scares in the sense that like, you know, because the kind of thing where it's just like a character is looking at something and then there's someone over his shoulder and it's like jump scare. And it's like, OK, fine. But like you already have this kind of creepy imagery already with like the smiles and stuff like that. And I feel like you could have relied a little bit more on that as opposed to just like someone's in the woods or like, you know, creepy thing is coming out now or like someone knocked on the door or whatever, you know, so stuff like that. I feel is kind of, you know, a little basic. I feel like you can kind of push away from that. But, you know, I had a good time. Sure. Creepiest thing for me is that the main character who, by all accounts, is in her maybe mid to late 20s, not just owns a landline, nope. but uses it a lot. I think they mentioned and that she's was, 30. That was weird to me. I'm hmm? pretty sure they, they mentioned that she's 30. I, you know what? Maybe she is. Well, I, who am I to question it? But yeah, so I, I know I, people get frustrated with the term elevated horror. Because they say it's like, you know, it kind of implies that like it's it's elevated above like other horror movies. And eh, that could be a bit reductive. I think it's like a different kind of enjoyment you can get out of horror movies that isn't better or worse than what you can get out of other kinds of horror movies. It's like, you know, it when you see it kind of thing. And I think, uh, yeah, we've always had films that are like, if you want to call it cerebral horror, you know, where the emphasis is just on a different like part of your brain that enjoys things, I think is like, they're, they're trying to be about something. And we've always, that, that's been a thing with horror movies. As long as horror movies have existed, you know, psycho, the shining, like these movies were always like about something, but to what you were saying, it's like the a 24 thing. There is like a specific indie mental health is the root of all horror movies kind of thing going on here. That's been way more pronounced since movies. Like I think the Babadook was one of the first ones to really kind of get that going. You know, uh, you mentioned uh, where you allude. Yeah, I don't know if you mentioned hereditary, but I think you alluded right to like hereditary and which is very much about grief. Midsummer, which is about like grief and getting over breakup. Um, but, you know, movies like The Witch, uh, I think some people, would, you know, Good Night Mommy, which got its remake. And, you know, there's stuff like Lighthouse and Suspiria well, and It, it Follows. follows. You, yeah, uh, say, it yeah. Follows, which I think is my favorite uh, like one of my favorite horror movies in, you know, in general. And I, I think that like this kind of thing, like this kind of horror movie, it's kind of petered out a little bit. Like, I, I think like we still get them like that kind of aesthetic, like Sundance is chock full of them, but they, they aren't getting as much attention. It feels like as they used to, you know, the big buzzy ones are like malignant or barbarian, but you know, speak no evil was kind of in that zone, wasn't it? And it, it didn't really take. And I mean, there might've been like two or three um, others that hit at Sundance and South by, and I, I'm blanking on them, honestly. Nah, speak no evil 
is uh no that's like kind of more of like a Hanukki kind of is funny it? okay i didn't see of, it to be to be clear so right i'm just kind of uh, you know. yeah i was gonna say yeah i mean i'm glad you brought up a barbarian because i think that's another film where yeah like you said like this malignant tour train where horror movies now are kind of willing themselves to push themselves into like that kind of uh, you know, B genre exploitation kind of thing, like not mm-hmm. trying to exclusively just be like, hey, we're a movie that's solely about something and kind of coasting on the themes. Like it's we're allowing itself to be entertaining and pulpy and silly. And I, I thir- certainly think that that is uh, worthwhile and worth exploring. Yeah. I was going to say for men. me, uh, a 20 yeah. Alex Garland's men. That was the one I was like, I knew there was another. Yeah. One. Sorry. But I was going to say, yeah, if, um, if, Barbarians this year is malignant. I was going to say uh, this movie, Smile, is this year is The Empty Man, which I don't think you ever got around to seeing. No, but I That's didn't. another film where, uh, you know, kind of an underdog hit as far as the critical reception is concerned, because that's another film where it's like, you know, kind of, it's a, a directorial debut and it has a really kind of dumb title and a goofy premise. But you're like, yeah, what's like, how's that going to be any good? But then you watch it and you, you realize the level of like patience and care that goes into it and how that movie kind of explores depression and grief in different ways. And, you know, despite kind of the dumb title that uh, is attached to that film, you know, this that's also a film that, you know, coasts on the craftsmanship and the, the well-directed uh, filmmaking there. And I think that's kind of similar to this film. Like, I, I think a lesser filmmaker would just made a kind of schlocky, dumb movie. And this is, you know, it has schlocky tendencies, but I think it's overall a pretty well-directed, thoughtful, engaging film that yeah. is able to be entertaining. But it's also, you know, it's saying stuff without letting the saying stuff things, you know, have a, a, a sort of air, a pompous air of like uh, superiority. It's just like, it's not right. letting, yeah, yeah. And it's not like, it's not, it's not preachy. And it's also, it's not saying anything that different, you know? Like, I don't know. There was nothing I thought that, that was, there was that poignant it was all stuff that I was like, yeah, you know, like it felt a little bit like pop psychology to me, um, which is okay. I, you know, it doesn't have to be that like subversive or anything. I, I think like I what you said there about like schlocky tendencies, I think that's exactly right. Because one of the reasons I think this movie works as well as it does is Sosie Bacon just really, really sells it, you know, in her performance. It, it could have been so easy for her to really just like go down a different path with this character th- where she's almost sort of like winking at the camera and there's none of that. You know, her reactions are genuine. She's like seriously terrified by what's happening to her and she's scrambling for answers and scrambling to deal with it. And yeah, as, as she kind of like deteriorates over the film, it's, it's heart wrenching to watch. Like there's so much sympathy that she like is able to, I think, extract from the audience. And it's, it's so bizarre because like, I think a lot of people might look at that and be like these, the tone is just so off, but for whatever reason, it's like a weird magic trick. I think like the tone actually, it's almost like we get to like breathe a sigh of relief once in a while by laughing at it. Right. Or not laughing at it, but just like laughing at the absurdity of the whole thing. And it's like the movie is in on the joke, but it's also in on the the serious part of like what it's trying to say it's very interesting like uh case study in, in balancing mm-hmm. two very uh, disjointed things that i think in other movies where people would be like that's oh, so jarring you know and right. in this case i didn't feel that no, i agree and i think that's another lesson that they learned from the ring the the american yeah. one 
because, you know, you have Naomi Watts in that film and uh, she's coming off of uh, Mulholland Drive like only a couple years before that. And, you know, that's another mm-hmm. film, you know, like we, it's her performance that really helps carry that addition to David Lynch's directing. But, you know, I mean, like a lesser actress in that film in the original or the, the remake of The Ring, I mean, might not have been able to sell it. But she, you know, brings that gravitas I think you're referring to there. Yeah, gravitas that, that, is it. Yeah. Because and, that's the thing yeah. is like. There are too many movies these days. I think we're coming out of the 20 teens. And I think one of the things we're still seeing lingering effects of is like actors undercutting the gravitas of their performance with quips and jokes of like, you know, screenwriters thinking that's how I lighten the mood. That's how I make you like the characters. Like they kind of have to be like, no, no, no. We know that this movie exists and this movie exists. So here's like a little moment to be like, I know what the Babadook is. Uh, not, I'm not right. taking a shot at screen because that's the right. point of screen. Right. But yeah. uh, I'm thinking of other stuff, you know, where, uh, it, it's just like you'll watch a movie and it's like all the tension gets cut because it's like, okay, I see where the screenwriter came in and was like, well, we got to, you know, uh, yeah. I, I'm not even calling out Nope because I feel like Nope kind of does it. But no, in a great you're, way. you're talking about like a Max Landis movie. I mean, I can't remember the last time I saw a Max Landis movie. Sure. It's been a while. I don't know. Right? But that's like, yeah, sure. I don't know. I'm just saying that like, like where the screenwriter gets a little too cocky about like, Oh, I've seen a movie before, and I know the audience has seen a movie before. So let's we see it a lot. I'm seeing it more in TV stuff right now, but yeah, okay. But yeah, I mean, I'm glad that this movie is able to, like I said, kind of lean into the the genre tropes, but not like act like you know it doesn't have to just rely on those and the concept. It it is saying things like you know not terribly profound things, but at least it's willing to do that in a way that's not sacrificing the entertainment level. I guess for me, where I kind of take maybe issue with the film and something I wanted to discuss uh, is how it kind of deals with depression. Yeah, yeah, me too. It's unfortunate. Which, Um, I I mean, that's that was my issue with Lights Out. I don't know where you landed on that film, but I think Lights Out, you know, for all the dread and, you know, some of the well-crafted scenes in that movie, I think that movie is uh, kind of abhorrent by the end because that, that movie takes a stance that on depression, suicide, that I think is highly irresponsible. I, I totally agree. No, I couldn't agree more. And I, I am at the same time a, a little bit conflicted because I do think it's a hard thing to solve. Um, but let's let's talk about that after we play the game. And sure. uh, I, I don't have anything else for Smile. I think I think yeah. I kind of covered how I feel. I, I can see why this is as successful as it is. And I'm impressed for a movie that is like this. It's not that original. Like, it's definitely one of those movies you're going to watch and be like, all these other movies, you know, but I think it's okay in the horror tradition. I think we tend to give cut a little bit more slack because horror movies do have more of a symbiotic relationship with each other than I think a lot of other genres do. And I get, I have more fun with that sort of thing. I I don't get as easily annoyed by like, that's just this mashed up with this, uh, as much as I would with like a superhero movie, maybe, uh, I don't know how you feel about that, but yeah, Uh, I guess it just kind of depends, but with this movie, it didn't really bother me that much. I'll say. All right, well, let's play the Rotten Tomatoes game so that we can spoil this thing without... Uh, we won't spoil it right now, but we'll play the Rotten Tomatoes game and then we'll spoil it. But okay, yeah, Spile. Rotten Tomatoes. About, yes, I'm very curious about what the score for this one might be. Uh, I'm, I think it's, I'm curious if you're going to nail it. I mean, I think it's fresh. Um, you know, I'm starting broad. Uh, I well, think it's in the fresh category. <laughs> well, I didn't, uh, I didn't tell you how many reviews yet. So okay. we have 121 reviews counted. So... You're looking at like what's pretty close to the consensus. Hmm. I don't know. I I feel like it's not eighty or above. Like it might be close, but I feel like it's not that high. But I feel like it's, you know, maybe not certified fresh, but certainly fresh. 
I'm going to say 76%. Well, this is this is why you're the king. This is why oh. you're I mean the reasoning is there. And okay. as you were saying and I was like Will's going to be so he's going to get it like one or two away. And sure enough you were only one off. Okay. Right? So it's it's not 76. Do you think it's 75 or 77? Um it's a good question. I'm going to say Making 75. It interesting. Is it 75? 75? You yeah. did it, Will Ashton. All so right. proud of you. Um, it is 75%. And uh, yeah, I think, yeah, you, you nailed it. I think, yeah, some people are taking a look at Smile and they're frowning, right? But most people, they're smiling right along with it. Right. And uh, let's look at the audience scores. We have 500 plus verified ratings. What do you think, Will? Where do you think the audiences are? Yeah, again, kind of tricky because I feel like audiences are responding to it. But I can see some people laughing at it for the wrong reasons and being like <laughs> that was stupid hmm. and it's like you know they 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 think because of that that's dumb and therefore a bad film uh but i don't think it's gonna make it negative and i don't think that that's even gonna make the response divided i just think it might be uh you know maybe not as high uh as some of its uh contemporaries as far as other horror movies that came out this year so i'm going to say 78 percent only two away this time. Okay. You're having a good week. I'm, I'm impressed. Uh, it's All 80%. Right. Okay. So, yeah. 80%. So, it's a little bit higher. But, you again, you you had the right... Uh, you were on the right track. Now, what about CinemaScore? Uh, what do you think of that one? Okay. I think I'll spoil on this one. This is a B-, minus, right? Yeah. And I'm, I'm shocked. Like, genuinely shocked. I don't know if I've ever seen this much of a... Or noticed this much of a disconnect between the audience score, the critic score, and the cinema score. Because like it usually, I feel like the cinema score is going to align with like one of them. Usually, the audience score or be a little bit closer because like eighty percent. I mean, that's like at least an A minus kind of if you're I, kind of, if you're trying to track along. But B minus, that's low. That's really low for a cinema some, score. I think people are kind of turned off by the third act. Maybe it's being, being presumptuous. Maybe. but I feel like yeah. people are like really strong in the first two acts and then like the third one gets kind of silly in a way that people are like i don't know about that i mean i have i have my complaints about the third act but i don't think they're like general audience complaints well i mean i think to your point i think cinema score is geared around a little bit more like would you recommend it and so they base it around that kind of thing and i could see people being like i don't know if i would recommend it even if they liked it because they might feel a little bit like it's a little irresponsible, you know, considering but uh let's uh uh, yeah i don't know i who knows i'm just guessing I don't think audiences are really thinking that way. I just think they're kind of like, man, it gets kind of stupid by the end. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, what about on Letterboxd? So we have 27,000 views so far, which is, uh, you know, pretty pretty much on, mm-hmm. on par, pretty average. Uh, what do you think, though, the average rating is from 0 to 5? Uh, 3.6. Oh, you're, you're not as close as you've been, mm. but uh, you're not that far. It's a 3.2. It's a little bit uh, lower. I think oh, the letterbox okay. crowd is being a little bit harsher, but you know that's what happens. A uh, few, few friends of the show. I think like, I saw Aaron Dicer is a two and a half. He, he wasn't as into it, and I have a feeling <laughs> for reasons that uh, we might get into here in a sec. Hmm. But uh, yeah, nah, hmm. I don't see uh, Chris Vangelissa, another friend of the show. He just he just put it down as watch. I don't know if he liked it. So uh, he has yeah. a review on Rotten Tomatoes. I think he was negative. I think he called it cliched oh. and derivative or something like that. Well, he's not wrong, <laughs> technically. So there you go. Uh, that is Smile. From this point on, we're going to talk about the ending of Smile. So if you don't, if you haven't seen the movie, you don't want to get spoiled. This is it. We'll see you, you know, come back later. Uh, 
Bros is coming out. Yeah. Uh, we'll release that review on the feed right. here in a day or two. So check that out yeah. when you can. Bye-bye. But for now, we'll Ashton. Uh, oh, go ahead. No, I was saying if they're uh, leaving for the spoilers, I just said bye-bye. Okay. <laughs> bye-bye, man. It, Different horror movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, where title. are you going with that? All right. Yeah. That's fine. Um, smile. Yeah. Spoilers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not that I didn't see it coming, right? Well, sure. I mean, the, it's pretty clear. It's like, okay, yeah, like, it's not over. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. I mean, I think that the f- initial reaction I think people are going to have is just like, oh, even if you you know, come to terms with your trauma and you confide in somebody and you acknowledge, you know, the, the pain and, and, you know, cause it's saying all along, right. It's like the problem for her is that she, she's not being honest about what she went through and acknowledging her guilt in the situation and all that stuff. And so the, then the movie is just sort of like, well, you can do that, but you'll still die. <laughs> like, and I, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I could see here. Here's what I'm thinking. And I don't know what you're going to, I can okay. maybe see somebody looking at that. And first of all, being like, well, it's horror. Like horror always does this kind of thing. I could see somebody being like, yeah, but you know, drag me to hell does the same kind of thing. Right. But on that token, I think drag me to hell doesn't have that same kind of message. And also that main character doesn't have her groundhog's day, like affirmation arc. Does she like, she just kind of thinks that she wins and then she does. not I mean, well, ultimately with the drag me to hell, she made a mistake or she did a bad thing. She yeah, made the bad right. choice, so she was punished for it. In this movie, she, the the character didn't really make a bad choice from the get go. Like she, you know, right, suffers true. from this horrific trauma, and then she was trying to do her job, and then she got this curse passed on to her. So it's like I don't think the character needs to be punished for that. But um, right, I was gonna say, well, I, before I get ahead of myself, I will say I don't think this ending is as irresponsible as Lights Out. I think Lights Out spoiler for that movie too i guess uh that movie is just like i know how i can kill the entity i'll kill myself and i'll get everyone's problems away it's like that's I, a highly I thought that, irresponsible yeah and i thought that's what they were gonna do here and i was like oh no yeah like I, please don't yeah. no right because there's a moment where it's like oh god are they gonna do that please don't and then they they have an ending that's like well it's kind of cheesy but it's like yeah i don't know i kind of prefer that over like you know like you know, like they, they have a clean cut ending where it's like normally that the noise being was like, yeah, I don't know for this movie. I kind of like if it, it does have kind of a clean, happy ending. And then it's just like, psych, that's not the real ending. We're yeah. back at ground zero. And it's like Marilyn Manson's here and he's going to eat this lady. And it's like, all right. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I get uh, it. because It's a hard problem to solve. Right. Because I feel like you, you write yourself into a corner when this entity is basically unstoppable. And you have to really kind of like write a way out of it that I think is really tough to do without the movie feeling really false. Like, I feel like you'd have to rewrite it in a way where like she finds clues to like an alternate path or she thinks of it at different angles. Like, well, maybe I don't have to murder somebody. Maybe there's some other way that I can break the chain that she uses the information and adapts. But instead, I think she kind of does that. She's sort of like, oh, if I go to the house and I don't see if I just like isolate myself but she does it without a plan <laughs> and like right. she's she's well, just kind of like i'm just gonna sit in here like what what is why what are you doing yeah Girl. i mean well, yeah if, well if she passes on to someone else just like that's just literally the ending of the ring basically right 
<laughs> well, uh, yeah, but I feel sorta. like the end of the ring, she figures out that right. if she, you know, copies the tape, copies, like she investigates yeah. the situation yeah. and she like figures out a way to save right. herself and her son. Right. But then and you know, it kind too. of does it. It cuts it both kind ways. Of. Right. Because yeah, it still passes on to the other guy. Right. Sorry, they, we spoiled they, the ring <laughs> for people. Uh, yeah, well, this is spoiler section, you know, so all yeah, bets but are spoilers, off. We said spoilers <laughs> for Smile, not the ring. Right. But okay. Well, I, I spoiled Lights Out, so all bets That's are true. off now. That's true. Um, in any case, uh, what I was going to say is, I think I'll this spoil has a, It Follows, too, in a second, but go ahead. Well, I was just about to bring up It Follows, because okay. I feel like, you know, I... I can see why that's one of your favorite horror movies. I like the movie a lot, but I think that's a movie that has two brilliant first acts. And then there's a clear point where, uh, what's the guy's name? Is it David Robert Mitchell? Is that the writer director of that yes. film? He's like, I can just feel him at his computer. It's like an adaptation moment where it's just like, well, where do I go from here? It's just like, I, how do I stop an unstoppable entity? <laughs> and they come up with this kind of weird, like pool, scenario like you know it's like yeah, but it doesn't know, work sure i just but it, to my point what i was gonna say is to say i just feel like the third act of the movie and it's been a while since i've seen it but i just feel like that's a movie where it's just like they never really figured out exactly no i think it's brilliant i think it's brilliant i think the okay. point of it is it gets a dumb idea but it's one that you can you can imagine teenagers coming up with that and sure. thinking like, well, let's just try to kill this thing using electricity or like to trap it, right? Mm-hmm. And then the movie is about like the futility of that. It's like, well, you can't kill this yeah. thing. You know, right, it's like fair. if the metaphor sticks, the and and then like the ending ends up being that like you have to share, you know, like you have to find somebody who is able to share the trauma with you and to share the burden with you and learn to live with it. And sure. I, I that's why I think it follows is basically like I think the ending is perfect for what right. it's trying to do. All right, I, maybe I do need to just rewatch it then because it's been a while since I've seen it, and I love the ending of um, Under the Silver Lake. Uh, for oh yeah, that's a great reasons. ending. I, and uh, and I, I, to be fair, it follows I've seen multiple times. I, I really genuinely love it, and um, it's a good movie. Yeah, and and um, you know, I, I I think with Smile, it's like I I'm glad that it didn't at least it's it is a derivative film, like Chris Evangelista said, but I am at least glad that like it didn't steal from It Follows because I was worried it was going to do that where she was going to find some way to like loop it so that it was like her and the detective guy basically being the same characters from it follows, like kind of like passing it back and forth. So nobody else has to deal with it. So you can't break the chain, but you can, you know, take responsibility. But I think that that wouldn't have worked. I don't think that the movie's about that. Right. So it's like the themes don't connect and it would have been derivative. If it follows and it would have been unsatisfying. So it's, it's a hard problem to solve. I don't know what to do. Uh, I, I, Looked it up just to be sure. I guess he said both creepy and derivative. Sorry, I half okay. misquoted him. Um, so sorry, Chris, if you're listening. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I again, I guess where I come down to is like I want to criticize it more, but also like if I'm Parker Finn and I'm writing this movie, I don't really know where to end it. Like that, the ending, I guess from a screenwriter standpoint, makes sense, but also just kind of feels underwhelming at the same time. Just like, well, well okay like i mean that is an ending i just feel like it's like i feel like this is like the end you get like on the alter like alternative ending like on the dvd and it's just like the the better ending is in the film and then you watch that and it's like well i can see why they wanted to end it that way but it's like i feel like that's less satisfying ending than like something a little bit more conclusive yeah. and i just feel like i don't know what that other ending would be because we this is the version we got <laughs> agreed agreed so 
it's not our job to decide, right? But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just glad I was able to get my thoughts out on that. And it, it didn't ruin the movie for me. But yeah, I think I think we're yeah. pretty aligned on it. So online, I'm like, where like landed. Yeah, I just feel like if it had nailed the ending, I'd be like, this is a good movie. And I feel like right now I'm like, it's pretty good movie. Pretty yeah. good. Yeah, it's almost there. Um, OK, so that is smile. Uh, again, we'll be talking about bros next. And uh, yeah, keep your eyes out. Keep your ears and eyes ready oh. for that review. But uh, did you have um, one more thing? Oh, just because I didn't get to mention it in my review. First, uh, like the cold open of this movie is awesome. I think yeah, it's probably the best scene. In the movie. Yeah, I was just going to say it just I think that is a really, really solid opening for the film. And I'm just like, hot damn. This is good <laughs> I feel stuff. weird. There were a couple of scenes where it was like the ang- the Dutch angle was like really tweaking. And I was like, well, what's the purpose of that? OK, sure. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> whatever. I, I'm not opposed. I don't know. You, you do what you want. It gives me that Raimi tingle for a little bit. And I'm like, eh. OK. Whatever. Okay. I was like, like is Branagh directing this? Okay. All right. That smile. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, We'll see you all on the next one from Internet California. I'm John Negroni. And for Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Will Ashton. See you next time.